morning, church. Uh, my name's Pastor Nick. Great to see you all this morning. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, great to see you. Um, we're in part three of a series called uh, The Sermon on the Amount. And uh, we thought, Paolo and I thought, Paolo is our stewardship pastor uh, and myself, we thought that it'd be really, really good to take four weeks in the summer uh, to kind of look at the whole area of our finances and our giving and our like tithes and offerings, all those kinds of things, and bring you a, a four-part series uh, to kind of unpack most of the main truths that we'd like to get across to you in this area. Um, and so today, uh, we're in part three, and I'm going to be speaking on something called the principle of multiplication. The principle of multiplication, because the way that God multiplies things is quite a cool and, and, and great thing that he does. And I want to talk you through uh, some of the stuff that he does. Now, I want to open this morning uh, with a bit of a story. I want to take you back in your minds to uh, 1984, uh, America. There's a young itinerant evangelist, traveling speaker called Robert, and he's married to a lady called Debbie. Um, and they have this philosophy that they are going to live solely on the love offerings that they are given by the churches that they go and visit and speak in. Uh, so they don't draw a salary from anywhere. They just say, right, we're going to go and speak in a particular place. And if that church happens to do a love offering, we will live off that. Now, he's quite a good speaker, and he gets lots of engagements. He gets sort of four or five a month, and it's enough to make ends meet. And they just decide that that is how they're going to live. Now, one particular month, he doesn't have an awful lot of luck getting bookings. And there's only one booking uh, in the calendar. Uh, and of course, the income is really, really uh, struggling that month. And he's praying to God and he's saying, listen, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm kind of rather hoping, Lord, that this particular engagement will cover the whole need for the month because I don't have the usual bookings. So he prays this prayer. And off he, he and his wife go off to this church and they, uh, he does a message um, and uh, it's, all, uh, it's all going really, really well. Uh, the, the, the church is delighted with the message. And they get to the end of the message, and uh, they're all milling about at the end, and the pastor comes forward and he says, Robert, that's just a brilliant message. Uh, you've done uh, a really, really great job. Uh, we have done a love offering for you, and it's the biggest one that we've ever had. And uh, he passes him the check, and uh, the check is to within a few dollars of the need he has for that month. And he's pretty amazed by that. I mean, that's like a miracle right there, you know, that he's not got the other speaking engagements. He's got this one, but this one speaking engagement does really, really well for him. And he's got the money he needs. And he's like thanking God for the miracle. And right in the middle of thanking God for the miracle, he hears the Lord say, I want you to give it away. I want you to give it away to the traveling missionary that was part of the meeting. And sure enough, when he looks across the room, he can see that the missionary is there. And this missionary has been part of the meeting, and he's brought a message about what he's doing in another country. And the Lord is saying to Robert, give away the miracle that I've just done for you. And he's really struggling with that. And he's like, really, Lord? You've just done a miracle, and you're asking me to give it away. That doesn't seem right. Are you sure? And the Lord is insistent, and he says, no, no, I want you to give it away. So what he does, I mean, like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find those requests from God just a little bit annoying. I, just be really honest. I'm like, what? You've just done an amazing thing for me, Lord, but okay, I'll do, I'll do what you say. So Robert is obedient to this, and he, he, what he does is he, he does the check name uh, to the missionary. He makes sure no one is looking. Uh, so he does this in secret. He doesn't want anyone to find out. And the missionary, of course, is absolutely delighted and, and is really, really blessed. 
So they're out in the car park afterwards, and they're milling around. It's just kind of staff left. And the pastor uh, invites uh, Robert and Debbie, uh, husband and wife, to go and join them for pizza. Uh, and I've, I've actually heard Robert give this testimony live, and he does it really, really well, because he says, well, you know, like, we said yes, because it's not like we've got any money now, so we're going to need a meal. Uh, he does it really, really well. So they find themselves in this pizza hut, you know, like a pizza hut, a pizza place. And the way it works is there's like a long table. You know how you get into these places sometimes, and it's kind of sitting opposite each other all the way down this table. And Robert himself is sitting opposite a bloke he's only met once before. They're strangers, effectively. I think they've said, hello. they've said hello once before. And his wife happens to be down the other end of this big party of people having pizza at the other end of the table. Okay? So they're, they're putting their orders in. And this guy who is sitting opposite Robert says, leans forward and says, so how much was the love offering? And Robert's like, Oh, that's a little bit rude. You know, like he didn't say that. That's what he thinks. He's like, you know, I mean, if somebody's just given you a load of money, you don't just go straight in there and say, well, how much was it? Do you? I mean, it's a little bit cheeky, isn't it? I, I wouldn't do that. I think that's a bit, bit full on. But this guy says, so how much was the love offering? And so Robert's kind of, in the end, says, well, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll get, to get this guy off my back, I'll tell him how much it is. So he tells him. And then, but the, the guy doesn't leave it alone. He says, show me the check. And he's like, what? Like, why should I have to show you the check? What, don't you trust me or something? Uh, and he says, no, show me the check. Come on, I'd like to see the check. And, then, and this is where things unravel a bit because Robert then says a lie. He says, uh, oh, my, my, wife, my wife's got it. And so, uh, so the guy says, well, go and get it off your wife then. <laughs> so he gets up and he walks down the other end of the table and he's, he's there like, and, and obviously he's just like, he knows the check's gone. And he, so he leans forward to his wife, and he makes out like he's talking about the check. But basically, he just says, uh, how's the pizza? And his wife has a little conversation with him about the pizza, and she thinks he's being really weird, which he is. Um, and then he comes back, and, uh, and then he does another lie. It, it, so the, the guy says, well, where's the check? And he says, well, my wife's put it in the car. And he says, the guy says to him, your wife hasn't put it in the car. You, you know, you haven't put it in the car. You don't have the check, do you? And at the end, Robert's just like, okay, I just, I can't deal with this. I don't know where this is going, but I've just got to be honest. No, I haven't. I, I, I don't have the check. And the guy says, yeah, I know you don't have the check because God told me that you were going to give it away. And he slides an envelope across the, the restaurant table to Robert. And he says, God's told me to give you this amount of money today. And he opens the envelope and it's 10 times the amount of the love offering to the penny, to the penny. Now that is a true story. That's a true story. How unbelievable and cool is that? It's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, give God praise for that. Just think about the nature of that miracle that God's worked there. He, and, and by the way, the check was written out the, in the afternoon before the evening meeting by that guy. He didn't write it out there and then. He was praying and he heard God say, I want you to give this specific amount of money to this man tonight when you're having a dinner together. And he was obedient to that. Uh, so that's like quite a staggering miracle in its own right. But then you have the miracle of the love offering being built up by a random group of people, which I'm guessing is probably not that unlike what we are today, just giving whatever they think to make an amount that is exactly 10 times less than the amount that God's said to this other guy. That is a really staggering miracle. 
And what it does, what that story does is it illustrates a philosophy or a principle of multiplication that God loves to do. He absolutely loves to multiply stuff. But there are certain conditions, there are certain criteria, there are certain things that have to be in place before God starts doing that kind of multiplication. And what we want to do today in part three of the Sermon on the Amount is to talk about uh, how can we meet some of those criteria? How can, we, how can we set things up so that God is optimized to bring those kind of crazy multiplication miracles? Because they are really, really cool. What, ha- what happens with Robert Morris is he then, he then goes on uh, to become uh, the, the lead pastor of Gateway Church in America, and it's probably one of the, if not the most generous, one of the most generous churches on the planet. And he's had a whole long history of God doing that with him. He's given away houses and cars and just crazy stuff has happened to him around the area of generosity, and God just seems to multiply some stuff because he has a fantastically enlightened view of this philosophy of the multiplication of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6 from verse 1. Uh, if you are somebody who uses our, the version app of the Bible uh, on your phone or your device, if you go into that and click on events, you can then find that Birmingham City Church is live there and you can follow along the notes and the scripture references and you can add your own comments in there and you can save that for future reference. We would really recommend that you do that. Um, And you guys online that are watching online, you can do that as well. Turn with me to John chapter 6 from verse 1. This story is probably one of the most famous stories of multiplication in the Gospels. Um, It occurs in all four Gospels, in fact. I think it's Mark 6, Luke 9, Matthew 14, and uh, here in John chapter 6. Let's read together from John chapter 6 from verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Uh, There was plenty of grass in that place, and so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world." Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. John 6, verses 1 to 15 there. Now, it's really hot today, isn't it? And we're going to be heading into a bit of a heat wave. I'm not going to keep you too long this morning. Okay, so the, the points I'm going to bring today are brief and to the point, 
There are seven of them, but don't wilt inside and go, oh, seven points. We're, we're going to hit this fast, okay? And you're going to need to keep up. Do take some notes and interact. I'm going to give you seven philosophies or principles around uh, God's multiplication and how he does multiplication that I think will bring you some real insights and they'll bring you some real help. Uh, and you can follow those along uh, in the YouVersion app there. Number one, God multiplies giving, not tithing. This is an important and foundational starting point, okay? God multiplies giving, not tithing. So let's just explain what tithing is again. I'm sure that Pastor Paula has done an excellent job of kind of bringing you up to speed on that if you don't know what that is, and not just from this series, but from previous teachings and her Fresh Finances course and so on and so on. She does a great job of that. A tithe is returning a tenth of what is God's back to God. It's returning a tenth of what is God's back to God. So what happens is with your income, let's say you have a thousand pounds as an income uh, in a month, just picking a figure out of thin air, a hundred of that belongs to God, but he allows us to have that hundred to see where our heart's at in relation to returning what's his. But unfortunately, very many of us, or a few of us, will struggle with that idea and we hang on to that hundred and we want the whole thousand for ourselves. Now, strictly speaking, I hate to hit it to you, but that's actually theft. That's actually stealing. When we don't return a tithe to God and it's his, that, that's not really the deal. That's not how this is supposed to work. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, when I first got into uh, my salaried roles uh, as a young man, I got a job in Vauxhall head office handling customer complaints from Vauxhall owners. It was a hard job. You know, people would come at, with, come at you with some pretty tough problems to solve. Now, we had a really good relationship with the local Vauxhall garage in Luton, which is where I worked, uh, a, a garage at that time that was called Motorbodies. And the service manager there was a really friendly guy, and uh, we built up a bit of a connection with him. And what he would do with some of us in the office, the head office, is he would, he would loan us a brand new car for the weekend. That's a nice thing, isn't it? I mean, that, that, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed that. So sometimes there would be a brand new Astra or sometimes a brand new Cavalier, and I'd take a trip over to Wales and go and see friends, and then I'd come back, and I'd return the car on the Monday morning. Now, that service manager is a bit of a shame. He, he didn't last there long. And you can imagine the top-level business owner going, oh, I'm not sure I'm very comfortable with my new cars going out to all these people all the time. So he brought that to an end. But for about six months, it was possible to borrow a car from this guy. Now, if I'd have borrowed a car one weekend, gone and had my weekend away, and then come back on the Monday morning, and then said to myself, ah, do you know what? I really like that car. That's got a fantastic stereo in it. Um, it's new. I just think it's great. Do you know what? I'm going to have it. I'm going to hang on to that. That's mine now. I think all of us in the room would go, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a minute, Pastor Nick. Uh, you've lost a little bit of your moral sense here. That's not right. That belongs to the, the garage. You have to return that. When God gives us uh, the things that he gives us, actually embedded within that is a 10% that is actually his, and we actually need to give it back to him. And this principle of the first, of returning the first back to him, goes right back to the Garden of Eden, where there were uh, certain things that we were not allowed to touch because they were set aside as a first for God. That's how that works. And it threads its way all the way through the Old Testament, and we find Jesus affirming that uh, in his, some of his interactions with uh, the religious leaders of the day. So a tithe is returning a tenth. Now, that's the foundation. 
the, the, the crazy thing that God will do with multiplication does not happen around that area. Yes, he absolutely blesses the 90% that's left. He makes that go way, way further than it should do. And, and, and in some senses, you could argue there's a level of multiplication there, but it's not really the kind of multiplication we're talking about this morning that's crazy, off-the-scale multiplication for others. So the foundation is tithing. God will then multiply the giving that you give over and above that. Now, that's the hardest teaching that you're going to hear in my message. And I know that for some of you, that's going to be hard to understand, hard to take on board, because it's going to hurt your wallet. It absolutely is. And I'll come back to this a little bit later on uh, in our response at the end. So number one, God multiplies uh, giving, not tithing. So if you're being diligent in your tithing, as Robert and Debbie were, the itinerant evangelist, then when you get to the giving stage, you start to see God pick up and do the crazy miracles of multiplication. Number two, multiplication starts with divine blessing. It starts with a divine blessing. The bread and the fish get brought to Jesus, uh, John 6, 11 there, and he gives thanks and he blesses, he blesses it. He gives thanks and he blesses it. Uh, it appears in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle other than the resurrection that is recorded by all four gospel writers. Uh, as I said, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, they all say that the, this, this bread and this fish were blessed by Jesus. Miracles of multiplication can only occur when we give the thing that we're going to give as though we're giving it to Jesus, and then he is able to do his thing with it. You, are you following that? Yeah, so you give it to Jesus and you ask him to do the blessing of it. And when he blesses it, he will uh, then do whatever he's going to do with it. And sometimes that turns into multiplication. Uh, Mark 6, 41 there, it says, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He's praying over them in order that they might be multiplied. Who here had grace at school over school dinners? Anyone here have school dinners? And did you ever have a grace said before school dinners? Uh, I, was in a, I was of the era where that was said. I don't know if that still happens now. Uh, I'm not sure it does. But uh, we had a, a, a school grace when I was in primary school in the 70s that went like this. Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts which we're about to receive make us truly thankful. Amen. I don't know if anyone re remembers a formula like that, but we had that in our primary school. Jesus is not saying grace here. Just so that you understand this, there's an element of grace. When we, you know, there's an element of thankfulness for provision, isn't there, with grace? We're saying thank you to God for him providing, and we're asking for a blessing of the food and so on. But this isn't the prayer that Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying a specific prayer to multiply and push out so that there is a big miracle about to go on. And that's slightly different, okay? So, number one. God multiplies giving, not tithing. Number two, multiplication starts with a divine blessing. Number three, the tiniest input can still be multiplied. The tiniest input can still be multiplied. I, I want to just say to you that uh, in the text there it says 5,000 men, and in the other Gospels it echoes that. Really what we're looking at here is kind of 15 to 20,000 people. If you've got 5,000 women there, you've got a couple of kids maybe each, you're straight up into a large, large crowd. Uh, yesterday, uh, during the day, uh, our purpose ministry had a coach trip down to Western Supermare. Uh, it was a beautiful day, and I think half the planet decided to join us in Western Supermare. It was absolutely heaving. 
It was so busy. Everybody wanted to be there. There was one point at which Chloe and I were trying to get across the road from the beach side to the shop side, and a huge crowd had gathered on this side of the Pelican Crossing, and another massive crowd had gathered on that side, and it felt like central London. Honestly, the lights changed, and we all crossed over, and it was like a rugby scrum. It was just so, so busy. There were, there, there were literally thousands of people there. Now, when you get thousands of tourists in a seaside location, you also get thousands of places to eat. And, of course, there's chips, there's burgers, there's fish, there's everything. Can I just say I had a ham salad? I was super good. I was really good. I mean, I had cake and ice cream as well, but, you know, I was really, really good. And can I say, beach cricket-wise, where's Samita gone? Samita bowled me out at beach cricket. What's that? In fact, you bowled three other people out as well. Hidden talent at beach cricket. And is Jennifer here? Jennifer, are you here? Jennifer turned out to be well handy with a cricket bat, swinging it back round. My goodness. Anyway, I get a, I, I'm, I'm getting distracted. It was an awesome, awesome day. But my point was, or my point is, that there were huge crowds there. And when you've got huge crowds, you're going to need to feed people. Uh, and obviously, tourist spots understand this really well, uh, and that's how they make their money. This crowd that are listening to Jesus are, are a few miles from a town f- called Bethsaida, um, and they're basically out in the wilderness, and there's nowhere to buy food. Uh, there's a problem. They need some food. Um, and uh, it's an isolated place, and how are they going to eat? Uh, now, the disciples do this journey around who's available uh, and you know, listening, and they, f- they only find from all of those people, which is a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, like, I'm thinking maybe some people were like, oh, you're not having my dinner. I'm going to keep that away. You know, but anyway, there's a boy who's got a good heart. And he goes, do you know what? You can have my five barley rolls and you can have my two fish. And it's a really sweet thing, actually, isn't it? Because he's just going, have this. And the, and the disciples bring this to Jesus. Um, and, and of course, it's a tiny, tiny thing. It's tiny. And yet Jesus goes, that's enough. That's all I need. I just need that and we will get motoring. We will do this. And the principle of multiplication, the philosophy of multiplication that God likes to do is, or likes to have in his heart is he doesn't care how tiny the offering is that we bring. So therefore, do not self-censor the thing that we're going to bring. Don't go to yourself, oh, that's really meager. Don't do that. Bring it anyway. If it's just five loaves and two fish and a crowd of 20,000, you know you have scriptural precedent for the fact that God will do something with that. He can, and he did, and it's an amazing, amazing truth. Uh, there was this story, wasn't there, about the guy who invented the game of chess, and uh, he went to the king, and he said, the king said, hey, I'm really loving this game. How can I reward you? Uh, and the guy said, oh, I'll have a grain of rice for the first square on the board, and then I want you to double that to the second square, and then double that again to the third square. And so we start off with one grain, and then two grains, then four, then eight, then 16, then 32, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, and the king said, yeah, of course, we can do that. Not realizing, of course, the principle of multiplication from something very, very tiny quickly escalates away from you. And if you do the maths on that board uh, uh, up to 64, we get into something like quintillion. So we're not just a million or or a a billion or a trillion or a quadrillion. We're into quintillion grains of rice, which is more than the annual global production of rice right now. And so this guy asking for this reward was pretty sharp, and the king didn't spot it because he didn't understand the principle of multiplication that God brings. So the lesson from this, number three, the tiniest input can be multiplied, is don't withdraw or withhold the tiny thing that you think is tiny. Give it to God. Give it to Jesus. Ask him to bless it as you give it. You'll be amazed and surprised what the Lord can do. Number four, 
God's multiplications will defy all human logic. It's very noticeable to me in this story uh, that uh, Philip and Andrew have quite human reactions to the situation. Philip's kind of like the project manager. He's He's the human calculator. He's working things out. He says... Uh, 200 denarii would not be enough for somebody to even have a bite to eat in this massive crowd. Now, one denarius was a day's wages. So 200 is 200 days, and if, if there's a roughly 20 days in a working month, that's 10 months. He's calculating it all in the human, isn't he? And who does that here? Like, I'm somebody that does that. I tend to go, kind of, how does this work? I want to know, you know, that, my, my background is project management. I'm like, so how does this work? I need to know the specifics. Uh, I need to make it happen. Uh, I'm thinking about it logically. And then Andrew, so that's Philip, the human calculator. And, and then Andrew goes, uh, what are they for so many? He looks at the, the five loaves and the two fish, and he says, what are they for so many? To be honest, if I'd been that small boy, I'd have been a bit hacked off with that attitude from an adult. Can I just say, like, come on, bless me here. I've given, what I've, I've given my pat lunch. And you're dissing me now. You know, like, come on. Andrew is just trying to be realistic. But what what I'm saying is that Philip and Andrew are approaching it humanly speaking. And a philosophy of multiplication is that you are never going to understand the logic of multiplication as God sees it. Because God just is God and does his thing, and it's awesome and completely incomprehensible. Uh, There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament where the people of Israel are grumbling about only having manna in the wilderness, and they grumble to Moses, and Moses speaks to the Lord, and the Lord sends in a huge flock of quail to give them meat. And it says in, I think it's in Numbers, let me just look it up, Numbers 11, 31, uh, God blew quail in from the sea to provide for the people of Israel in the desert, and the quail made a pile three feet high, a day's walk in any direction. Now, let's just assume we all kind of got quite fit and, you know, good at walking and all the rest of it. We could walk 15 miles. Let's say we could do that in a day. See, reasonable, Simon, 15 miles? Yeah, we could do that if we trained. I don't think I could do that right now, but I think I could do if I trained, okay? So a day's walk, 15 miles in any direction. We draw a circle around that. That becomes a diameter of 30 miles. Imagine a kind of a disc, 30 miles in diameter, three feet high, filled with what are like small chickens. Somebody needs to work this out. This would be an awesome GCSE project. You know, how many quail fill a disc of that volume? I think it'd be millions, wouldn't it? You'd have to work out the volume of the quail, the average quail, and then you'd have to divide that into the the volume of the... Effectively, what you've got there is a very flat cylinder, isn't it? That would just be... Well, I can see some of you are glazing over. That would be a great project to do. It would. Okay. Um... God's multiplications are going to defy human logic because God, the way God does stuff is on a colossal scale that we're not really ever going to get our heads around. We're not going to be able to sit down and work it out. It's going to be very difficult for us to comprehend. comprehend. So the lesson is we won't be able to use our logic to even understand it. Let's just let him do it and enjoy the results. Let him do his thing and allow him to bless us, and let's enjoy the results. Um, Number five, human obedience is essential for miraculous multiplication. Human obedience is essential. In each of the stories we've heard, somebody has had a prompting, and they've gone to God with it, and uh, they've prayed about it, and, and then they've been obedient in what God has said to them back. The boy was obedient in bringing the bread and the fish. 
He was obedient in that. Robert was obedient that day when the Lord said to him, no, I want you to give that offering you've just received to the missionary. He was obedient. And there's a little sliver of obedience in us that needs to be exercised in those moments, otherwise we're not going to see the philosophy or the principle of multiplication unfolding in quite the way we should because God does use us as his agents. Even if it's tiny, even if it's insignificant, even if we want to self-censor it and say, oh no, that's too small, God wants to use us uh, as his agents in this. So we have to be obedient to that. I have a, a, Chloe and I have a friend called Sarah who lives down in Letchworth Garden City. Uh, we went to the church there for a while, and she was in the church, and I was on staff at the same time as her. And one day she, she felt the Lord say, I want you to empty out all the, the notes in your wallet, and I want you to give them away. And it was a counterintuitive thing to do because she needed those for petrol for the journey home and so on and so on, but she was obedient to that. Uh, and this was in the morning. And in the evening, she had a, a, a donation pushed through her door um, and, and then some more on top. God had multiplied it. He'd added it back. He'd not seen her short. Now, that wouldn't have happened had she not been obedient. And one of the things we have to do as a journey as Christians is to start listening to the Spirit when we hear those promptings and having a go and taking a risk that God is going to come through for us. Human obedience is essential for miraculous multiplication. Just two more. You're listening really well. Well done. Number six, um, a hallmark of divine multiplication is staggering levels of accuracy. A hallmark of divine multiplication is staggering levels of accuracy. You know, Robert's check was 10 times the love offering to the penny. God loves design like this. Um, I don't know if you've spotted this in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 or the 15,000 or the 20,000, whatever it might be, but it's incredibly specific, the amount that gets given or produced by Jesus' prayer and his miracle. It's in the kind of 20,000-something or other and 12. And we know that because the disciples all get a basket at the end each, and it was just enough. Now, that's very strange to me because you've got a miracle going on that's on a very large scale, completely inexplicable. How Jesus does it, I don't know. I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall there to see if it just kind of, when he broke the bread, it just became big again. I mean, you know, aren't you somebody that would love to see that in action? I'm, I would. Like, or did it kind of divide, like, as the disciples were dishing it out? You know, there's two schools of thought. Some think it was as the disciples handed it out, it just grew in their hands. Some people think that Jesus kind of held it in the basket and then it just grew there. I mean, like, how is this, how is this working? I want to know. I want to know the specifics, Lord. Show me. And yet we don't get told. So there's this multiplication going on. But what I'm so fascinated by is we're talking it feeds, and to a sufficient level, it feeds thousands and thousands of people and 12. That's very specific. Now, that is something that is a hallmark of God's multiplication philosophy. And so what will often happen is when you get into this area, if you're doing your tithing and you're starting to respond to God and you're wanting to do giving, you're going to see miracles which will happen, which will have a staggering parallel around numbers. They will. You'll be going, hold on a minute, there was, you know, £37.50 and I've got exactly 10 times that back. Or you'll see, you'll see stuff that you'll just not be able to comprehend. Um, just as an aside, I actually think that design exists in God's mind and it manifests itself in all sorts of places in his creation, not just in stewardship of finances. For instance, did you know that the reason we have a perfect eclipse of the sun is that even though the sun is 400 times larger than the moon, it's also 400 times larger, uh, further away? 
So whenever we're up down here on the planet Earth and looking up in the sky, which you shouldn't look at it directly, of course, but when there's a full eclipse, you have something very, very unusual going on, which is two celestial bodies that happen to pass each other in a way that they completely match, even though they're totally different because of the design of the Lord. He loves designs that match. That's not ever been found in any other planetary system in all the explorations that they've done with things like the Hubble telescope, etc., etc. If you think about the odds of that, that's really, really tiny odds for that to happen. Like the, the moon just needed to be a slightly further out in orbit. The sun needed to be slightly smaller. I mean, why does God do stuff like that? And yet what we, we, what we end up with down here on planet Earth is the pleasure and the beauty of a perfect eclipse. God's design is because he simply enjoys maths, which is a good thing for someone like me. <laughs> he loves it. He absolutely loves things like that. A hallmark of divine mul multiplication is staggering accuracy. Last one. Oh, I should just say what the lesson is for that. It's just enjoyment. That's it. It's just enjoyment. It's pleasure at who God is. That's all we have to do with that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Thanks, Kevin. Last point. And this, in some ways, is the most important point of all. The whole purpose and the whole reason behind the philosophy of multiplication is that it's about blessing others. It's not about lining our own nest. It's not about making sure we're okay. Although, actually, the disciples all had a basket of bread and fish left over, didn't they? God will not see you short. Oh, no. We never end up as God's debtor. He is always covering us in lots and lots of ways. There is this godly purpose to multiplication, and it's to provide and to bless other people. In all the stories we've heard this morning, there's a common thread of somebody being obedient and giving something very altruistically and purely to God, and God then using that gift and multiplying it to bless lots and lots of other people. That's what the philosophy of multiplication is all, all about. Let me just take you through those. Would you stand with me, BCC? And we're going to sing one more song and we'll respond as well at the end. Let me take you through the, uh, the, 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 the seven principles of multiplication. God multiplies giving, not tithing. Multiplication starts with divine blessing. The tiniest input can still be multiplied. Think of that grain of rice story. Think of it's just five loaves and two fish for all those thousands of people. Number four, God's multiplications will defy human logic. You won't be able to work it out in your human mindset. Number five, human obedience is essential for miraculous multiplication. We have to, to be a people who can respond to what the Spirit might be prompting on the inside of us. We have to be able to hear His voice and go with it and take that risk. Number six, a hallmark of multiplication is staggering levels of accuracy you will see numbers matching up in strange ways. And number seven, the aim of multiplication is to bless other people. Let's sing now. Thanks, Kevin. And then we're going to come back and respond on a couple of those things.